Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What you, what you want, what you, what you want. Top five. Movies! Movies! Top five. Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world, and welcome to the Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. My name, as always, and it always will be, is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight, and join me as ever is Florida's Finest and the Statesman to my Kingsman. I'm John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How's it going, Matt? Not bad at all. It's ha- hashtag Burke, is it Burke Bat I'm calling you, or Burke Man now? Uh, it's Bat Burke, or Burke Man, that's right. Yeah, you might want to explain that because off the off the top of the show, that could come off as confusing to some so, people. Um, today, uh, I'm a high school film teacher uh, during the day, and it's Spirit Week at our school. It's like so when we have our big homecoming football game this weekend, a big homecoming dance. Uh, the week leading up to it, we have different themes where we dress up in attire, and today's theme was heroes versus villains. And I don't usually get too into it, but um, my daughter's a freshman this year, and she was dressing up as the Joker. Which you know makes me proud. Um, and then <laughs> I uh, I always wear like a superhero T shirt on this day, but I, I wore my Batman shirt. But I thought I would uh, bring in the YouTuber slash Viner Bat Dad. I don't know if you've ever seen that, Matt. Have you ever seen Bat Dad on the internet? I have. I have yeah. heard and seen Bat <laughs> Bat Dad. I'm a big fan, and so I bought like the similar mask from our our local party store, like seven bucks. And I I decided I wasn't going to call myself Bat Dad because I'm a teacher, so I went with Bat Burke. Or Burkman, figured you could go either or. Um, I do think Bat Burke's a little catchier. Um, although Burkman does work as well. But uh, yeah, so I, I kind of pulled like a parody of Bat Dad, uh, did my take on the Christian Bale Batman voice. Um, if you follow me on Instagram, at Burke Reviews, you can check out my story from today um, and or some of the pictures I took with my classes. I took a group shot with all of my uh, my three classes. We, we, I have six classes, but we see three a day, so I only saw half of my classes today. Um, but I took one with uh, each of them, and it was a lot of fun. You know, it was the funniest thing. I wore my glasses over the mask, which you can see in the pictures. Um, so I, when I had the bat mask on, I still had my glasses. And I had a student who I've taught for two years never noticed that I wore glasses until I had them on top of the mask. <laughs> he was like, he's like, why do you have those glasses on the mask? I'm like, they're my glasses. He's like, yeah, but you don't wear glasses. I'm like. What are you talking about? <laughs> like I've always worn glasses. Had massive eyelids. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, that was that was a a fun surprise because it was like such a weird conversation to have. Um, it was like no one realized I wore glasses until <laughs> I put on the mask. Um, you are your yeah. own superhero. You're yeah. like Clark Kent in reverse. Yeah, and it was uh, you know I'm the yearbook advisor at the school as well, so um, I have like photographers running around all day taking pictures, trying to get 
um, as many of the the costumes. So we had some really creative students out there today. Um, some went, you know, to the, like the party stores and bought the high end. Like, like there was at least two Infinity War Spider Man that looked amazing. Oh. Um, and then there was a really good Black Widow we had at the school today that was also pretty awesome. And then a lot of superhero T shirts, you know, uh, Venom shirts and um, Deadpool shirts, which always are kind of questionable at the school because Deadpool. <laughs> Um, on a side note, Matt, I do want to... Have you heard about the PG-13 Deadpool that's coming out in December? Has it been confirmed as a PG-13 Deadpool? Because I've heard a lot of conjecture about it might be, or I thought it was going to be like a Deadpool Christmas film. But I, has it oh. been confirmed? I, well, you know what? I have not fact-checked myself. All I've heard is from other people that I consider reputable on the subject matter. Um, and my understanding is it is Deadpool 2, but with a framing device. Have you heard about the, the framing device? I haven't heard. I haven't heard anything about um, the specifics. Only that it's going to be apparently a PG thirteen surprise type thing. Okay, well, I, I guess the surprise is out. If this is true, and from my understanding, it is. Um, it's going to be uh, Ryan Reynolds telling the story of Deadpool two to Fred Savage, Princess Bride <laughs> style, um, and so that's why it's PG thirteen because he's going to leave out some of the the more explicit content for the young but not young. Fred Savage, which um, makes sense given uh, the end of the first Deadpool, the credit scene, which was the Ferris Bueller parody. Um, so them, you know, parodying another film has been established. Uh, it sounds like something they would totally pull off, and I think would be hilarious. Um, and I, like, when I heard they were re-releasing a PG-13, my initial was like a eye roll, and then when I heard about the framing device, I was like, well, now I have to watch it because I'm totally in um, just for the interactions between the two of them. So. If that is 100%, um, I'm excited for that. Uh, just because, man, Reynolds in that character, I kind of just want to see him be Deadpool forever. Yeah, that's that's t- too specific, I think, to not be... Not to have some kind of accuracy to it, because yeah. otherwise, who would make that? I kind of wanted it to be Deadpool, a, a, like a very Deadpool Christmas or something like that. That would be awesome, but too. now you say that, that also intrigues me, because just like you, when I heard PG-13... Deadpool, I kind of thought, well, doesn't that sort of fly in the face of what makes Deadpool, you know, what it is? But with that framing device, it could work. And yeah, anything with Ryan Reynolds as Deadpool in, over here in the United Kingdom, we have uh, Deadpool running ads for uh, Deadpool 2 because it's now over on box, box office over here. Mm-hmm. And just sit here and see him in the costume cracking um, bleeped out jokes. It yeah. just makes me want to see more and more of him. So if it is a PG-13 framed deadpool then sign me up anyway i kind of would i kind of hope that instead of doing deadpool 2 like what if he does both movies like condensed into like the story so you're getting more like a like a clip show where we're cutting back and forth and it's really like a new movie with it's mainly about the framing device you know like why he's not cursing as much and i mean there are there has there was an uproar about deadpool uh because parents were like ah comic book movie that's rated r i can't bring my kids to it's like yeah, but it's not you're mis- you're assuming that all comic books are kid friendly and they are not. They've never been. There are comic books that have always been geared towards an adult audience because comic yeah. books are collectibles too. Um, you know, I get why people think they're for kids because traditionally we think of Superman and Batman as a kid friendly uh, area, but Deadpool is our period, and that's actually I don't know how you felt. Um, we're not reviewing Venom tonight, folks. We haven't actually even said what month we are here, um, but. Uh, we were talking about Venom. We both recently saw Venom, and I do think Venom should have been R. I think they they dropped the ball by not making it R. There's a few scenes in that movie that clearly would have benefited from being an R rating. 
I'm on the fence about that because I think it worked well enough with the PG-13. I think you see certain things that happen in yeah. the film. Would it have made the film any better if you were to see it visually on screen? Probably, maybe not. It may, it may have made it maybe not. kind of give you that sort of like fist bump, cool kind of feeling. But would it have affected the narrative? Probably not. But it might have looked quite good. This is all I can say without going too far into it. But um, yeah, it had it been an R-rated film, I wouldn't have minded it because yeah. I know there's a lot of calls for it to be R-rated. But I think it worked as a PG-13, how it in the way it was delivered. Had it had it obviously had those scenes added in, it would have just made it probably a bit cooler. But I still yeah. I I'm. On the, I'm only willing to say that Tom Hardy worked. I, I feel like almost everything else didn't work, but Tom Hardy worked so well it made the movie super enjoyable, despite all of the issues I have with almost every other aspect of the movie. But, um, and I do feel like they wasted Jenny Slate. I think Jenny Slate is a much better actress than she gets uh, credit for in this movie. Um, she's not used well, in my opinion. But and Michelle Williams too. Yeah, whisper it quietly. But she, she, man, if it's not an indie film, she doesn't get used right. Like. Yeah, you're right. That's um, spot on. Yeah, like, the indie directors seem to know how to use her talents, and everyone else... Although, she was really funny in the uh, Amy Schumer movie, um, I Feel Pretty. Um, that was probably the best commercial role I've seen her in, and it's because she's... The voice she's doing in that movie is so crazy. Yeah, I'm gonna... Probably... I didn't like the film, but I'm gonna agree with you on that, because yeah. obviously when I think of her recently, think things like Manchester by the Sea, where she was mm-hmm. just devastatingly good in that film. Yeah, she was. And to see her used like she was in Venom, I mean, I don't want to go too much into it because obviously we've got a whole show next month about it. But yeah, um, yeah, they could have utilized her better. So, listeners, um, if you haven't caught on, this is our September episode of Bloody Awesome Movie Podcast. We are a little behind. We we kind of like the way the month ended. I didn't realize. We weren't going to record until like a week after October. It was started. an abrupt end, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it was like, well, because usually we the movies end like in the middle of the week, and this time it ended on the weekend. So the last last week's movies were technically September movies, but only for like two days, and then it was October all of a sudden, and that was when I was like, oh wait, we're supposed to be recording this. Um, so sorry for the uh, somewhat tardy episode, but um. Yeah, uh, this we're going to be reviewing our four movies from September, um, and we'll be back, of course, next month with the October movies, which, as we just kind of hinted at, Venom is <laughs> definitely going to be one of those um, four. But um, September, Matt, what did you think kind of uh, overall with movies? Uh, as a top level, before we dive into it, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, this September to me could be the new dumping ground. It's, it's never been a particularly... Um, a particularly prosperous month, I don't think, for film. However, this year, 2018, September, it had ups and downs, but I think we're going to find that there are a lot, there are other months which had a lot more going for it. Possibly next month and the next few months, and some we've done before, but September is what I've said before, I'm going to say it again, it was an absolute mixed bag, I think. Yeah, I agree but with that in mind, two movies from September are currently in my top 20 for the year. Um, so despite overall feeling like this month was a lot of almost wasted time with some of these movies, where I'm like, oh my goodness. Um, even <laughs> some of the ones I enjoyed, I just barely enjoyed. You know, like it's like, uh, I, I liked it, but at the same time, wow. You know, like 
there's there's definitely room for a lot of improvement. But two movies uh, really kind of blew me away this month, and I ended up loving two of them so much that they're in my top 20 for the entire year, which, keep in mind, um, Matt and I watch a lot of movies over the course of the mm-hmm. year. And I when I say for the year, I do mean from 2018. So I still, I've watched, I think, 120 movies from 2018 at this point or something like that. And, and I've just tipped 100, so... And I went to three film festivals, so that's part of the reason why yes. I have more on you. Um, so, yeah, you know. The, I think I know the two films you're on about, but I would never spoil the attention ahead of time. Yes. So, um, I think. It, it, is there anything else we need to address before we get into our reviews for the movies? Pretty much that. What we're going to do is we're going to give our opinions on the films. We pick four major releases, and at the end, we're going to dive into what else we saw. But they are spoiler free. We will allude to, you know, potentially moments in the film but we won't give away any of the big reveals or twists or anything like that so spoiler free so sit back and relax yeah and with that in mind too the first film we're going to talk about is one that could be wrecked by a spoiler <laughs> um in my opinion for sure like every movie spoilers yeah every movie potentially could be ruined by a spoiler i guess but there are some movies that i think rely on the surprise to really sell them and i think this movie is one of those um and that is a simple favor uh, it is a Paul Feig movie, um, Paul Feig's new movie, but it's a, as I think it was being touted in the marketing, it's a darker side of Paul Feig, and yeah. I would say that's accurate, and I think, um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but that's definitely one of the reasons why I like this movie so, so much. Um, it stars Anna Kendrick, Blake Lively, and Henry Golding, who, what an end of the year for Henry Golding, because the dude Absolutely. comes out, Crazy Rich Asians is his first film, and then A Simple Favor has proven he can hold up with almost anybody on screen. He is charming. He has got a, a, a air for comedy and air for, um, I mean, just what a, what a freaking presence on screen and he, two movies in. So I'm, I'm currently sold. If Henry Golding's, uh, leading a film, I'm going to give it a, a, an opportunity. Um, there's some other really great comedic performances in, in a simple favor. Um, Andrew, uh, Reynolds, Ronalds, Reynolds, mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure what the correct pronunciation, and I am a huge fan of Aparna Nansharla. Uh, she's a stand-up comedian. That's where I know her. I haven't seen her act anything. She has a super small part in this movie, but I was super excited to see her because her stand-up is amazing. Um, if you were a fan of stand-up comedy, um, I don't know if there's a, a a video version of it, but her album is great. So I highly recommend Aparna Nansharla. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm mispronouncing that. I'm sure I am. Um, and I gotta say too, because uh, Simple Favor has two kid actors in it, um, Ian Ho and Joshua uh, Satine, that play the children of um, one is uh, Blake Lively character's son, and the other is Anna Kendrick's character's son, and they do a pretty good job. You know, they're they're young kids, so they they don't get a whole lot to do, but I thought they did a solid job with the performance, and they they're given some uh, important lines of dialogue they have to give, and I thought it was a convincing performance overall. Um, I. This movie is currently in my top 20. I don't remember exactly where, but I was really blown away by this film. Um, I had been, you know, watching it and uh, watching the trailer for it for months and thinking it was no way I was going to like it. Paul Feig has been hit or miss for me in general. Um, I hated the Ghostbusters for the most part, not because it was women, because I thought a lot of it was stupid. Like the if, if you want a good example of what I didn't enjoy, the way their logo is made by a graffiti artist on the subway. Hated that like just so much um i also hated a lot of the uh the ghost design towards the end of that movie but Mm -hmm. i don't want to get into a review of that movie but uh paul feig um i like bridesmaids a whole lot 
Um, I, I thought the heat was okay. Um, what's he did like two with, uh, Melissa McCarthy spy is actually better than I expected. Um, but a simple favor is my favorite for sure of all of his movies. Um, and again, I, I really feel like you need to kind of go in with not knowing much for this movie, but the, um, the premise, uh, on IMDb, Stephanie is a single mother with parents, uh, a parenting vlog who befriends Emily, who is Blake Lively, a secretive upper-class woman who has a child at the same elementary school. When Emily goes missing, Stephanie takes it upon herself to investigate. And that's not a spoiler. That's in the trailer, and that's also, I think, in the opening uh, sequence, we are um, already aware that Blake, that Emily, Blake Lively's character, has gone missing. Um, I won't go anywhere else from there. I do think uh, Paul Feig does a terrific job of... Uh, um, if you've seen Gone Girl or uh, A Girl on the Train, that type of movie, I think that's some of the tone he's going for, but there's an edge of humor, um, because of Paul Feig's comedic sensibilities, and uh, man, I loved it, um, what about you? Yeah, believe it currently sits in my top 15 of the year, with nice. still with, what, two and a half months to go, and we do have an awful lot of potentially marvellous films to come, so currently in the top 15, and yeah, it's, it's one of Paul Feig's Probably, the, I think it's the first film where he hasn't worked with Mr. McCarthy. Certainly, ah. for the first time in a long, long time. Because if you, all the films you just mentioned, Melissa McCarthy is in there somewhere. So it's pretty much the first time he's used without without her. But I mean, seventy six point four million bucks worldwide against twenty million dollar budget shows that people this it, this film had a lot of word of word of mouth buzz. I think because over here it wasn't marketed massively. And I only heard of it via the internet and social media and John saying about it. So, and when I saw it, I, I really wanted to see like a, a mystery noir type film. And, mm. but I knew with Paul Fee coming, it was going to be some comedy and I had nothing, no problems with that. And the comedy itself was actually quite subtle. It's woven in quite nicely. It's not in your face over the top, take you out of the movie quite gags. But I mean, the film itself, the movie shifts tones quite a lot. But it keeps the the atmosphere interesting throughout. There's a little bit of that. Here we go. Here's a cliche, but there is some Hitchcockian moments and techniques in there, which, are, as a fan of Hitchcock, I I noticed straight away, and I appreciate that they they paid homage and they did a tip of the hat to the great man. And the writing's good as well. It could have fallen mm-hmm. apart so many times, but they managed to keep it tight together. Yeah. And with things that happened throughout the film, again, they they at times it could have. You know, all fall into pieces, but it didn't. There were parts towards the end which just irked me very slightly, but absolutely nothing that ruined the flow or destroyed like the aspects of the, the thriller aspects of it. So mm-hmm. I thought Kendrick and Lively were fabulous together. I thought Blake yeah. Lively gives her best performance. Anna Kendrick, uh, as you said before, she has this kind of playful, just affable, charming side to her, which maybe won't be for everybody, but. I thought she was fabulous in this and yeah. her and Black Lovey together are are brilliant. So I think I ended my review by saying it's is smart and it's sexy and it's a hell of a lot of fun, but it's yeah. intriguing and it's a most importantly, it's a good story and it's overall a very solid film. And not to mention the uh, the visuals in the film, just like I mean, mm-hmm. Blake Lively's clothing, their house, like it's a gorgeous movie, um and it really fits the the atmosphere so well. Um, and I completely agree with Lively's performance. Um, I went into um, The Shallows a few years ago, very apprehensive, because a lot of the shark movies that have come out since Jaws are just awful. 
Um, I actually ended up liking the shadows, but I still thought like she did a good job, but there was something missing. Uh, man, she really stepped it up in this, and I, I she was part of the reason I was apprehensive about this movie. Um, I am a huge Anna Kendrick fan. I won't deny that. Um, I've seen, I'd say, most of her films, and almost always I enjoy her. Um, I think uh, the um, John Krasinski film, The Hollers, from a couple years ago, mm-hmm. she's not doing a whole lot. Like she's kind of just there um, as his like pregnant girlfriend. Um, but like fifty fifty, I thought she was really good in that film. And there's a Mr. Right with Sam Rockwell in her. Um, she's playing like this manic crazy person but i still enjoyed her performance although it's it's kind of like a really big performance for her but like pitch perfect she won me over even in the crappy third one i still enjoyed her i didn't enjoy (laughs) anything else about it but um in this movie man she's just spot on in every 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 regard and she's asked to do a lot and so is lively in this film the range that they have to deliver throughout this film because of the change in tones that you mentioned it's insane and it's it's they nailed it um i don't know i the critics have been like warm on it it's a 67 metascore which is positive but it's still like you know i i don't know for me it's like way up in the 90s like i just was really really floored by it um and i do think part of it is expectations because i went in ready to just be like rolling my eyes and and unhappy and i walked out just like wow i had a great time with this movie i thought it was brilliant i was even like the there are moments where you might think well the movie thinks it's so smart but i always felt like there was an air of like comedy even in the delivery of some of the content that like feig was like making a parody in some way you know um which without giving anything specifically away but yeah there's that kind of satirical look at it almost mm-hmm. but yeah i think the, the chemistry between the two leads in any film or however many leads you've got male female it has to be spot on and uh, even though they're kind of polar opposites in the film, the chemistry between Kendrick and Lively is it's brilliant and it really, really, really moves the film along. As, and I think Anna Kendrick, I think I remember watching her years ago in Up in the Air, I think it's called. I think she had, that she got an Oscar mm. nom for that with George Clooney, I want to say. Yes, yeah. she was fantastic in that. And that was nine years ago. So it feels like she's been around for an awful long time. And for me, it's almost, she doesn't seem to get the... The kudos she maybe does, uh, yeah, should be getting because I don't know. Maybe she's just seen this as sort of I don't know, happy-go-lucky, colourful actress who is who's not who doesn't get to show her acting chops as much. I don't know, but I yeah. think she's very good when she's put in a film like this. It she's fantastic. And how I mentioned Henry Golding, I think he gets more to do in this film than he did in Crazy Rich Asians, yeah. which is so charming and so handsome in but he's he's excellent in this film as well and i think he's got a he's got a bright future ahead of him so in terms of the the acting trio in this film brilliant acting by the by the main three it's well written it's sharp it's incisive it could have fallen apart but it didn't and for that it's a you know it like i say it's in the upper echelons for me and i'd imagine it will definitely stay in my top 20 yeah i think mine too i mean I'm always hopeful because we're hitting that Oscar season now. Um, I'm hopeful that some of the movies that we're about to watch in the next couple of months are going to be the best movies of the year. Um, but, you know, you never know. Um, I did see, you know, uh, October's got a bunch of movies coming out that I'm excited about. But will they will they resonate with me? Will they click with me like this one did? I'm not sure. 
No, I mean, I'm looking forward to Goosebumps 2 getting that Oscar nom in a couple of months' time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yes. This just, uh, without meaning to go off on a tangent, but just this month of October coming up, it's just stacked and it's only going to get bigger and better. But the films that were good in September really were very good. And A Simple Favour is, what you like you mentioned, one of the only shining lights, but hey, what a, what a bright light it is. Yeah, and unfortunately, I think uh, we probably should have saved this one for last. But when we made this list that we were going to watch them, this was the first one on the list. So um, it wasn't organized by like best to worst, but it kind of is going to go that direction. Not quite best to worst, but we're definitely going to be, I think, more negative for the next three movies that we talk about in detail. So um, I guess with that, Matt, what's the next movie we're going to look at? Yeah, the ship's starting to sink now. The The next movie is The Nun. The next film in the Conjuring universe made a ton of money. 22 million budget, 347.1 million worldwide. I I mean, these films are box office gold. I mean, I like The Conjuring. It's one of my favourite horror films. But the four films that have been released, or five now, but out of the four released before this, I was only 50-50 on them. I liked The Conjuring and I liked Annabelle Creation. Conjuring 2 and Annabelle didn't like them. The Nun, for me which may surprise a few people, falls sort of in the middle. I, it's got so much flack, at Valak flack. It, I didn't hate it like I thought I would, but I didn't love it or even really like it like I wanted to. It's It was billed as the darkest chapter, quote-unquote, in the Conjuring universe, the Conjureverse, whatever it's called. Uh, and there's a lot of gothic horror design which adds to weight to the claim, but I mean, whether that's true is up for debate. However, like I say, it's not great... It's not awful, but this is a this is a prequel to the events of the first Conjuring film in Annabelle. And basically, it's a priest with a haunted past and a novice on the threshold of her final vows are sent by the Vatican to investigate the death of a young nun in Romania and confront a malevolent force in the form of a demonic nun. So that synopsis to me sounds like it should be uh, a very decent horror film. And it has its moments. There are the signature Conjuring moments where you've got... Uh, during it there's, there's things that harken back to the first conjuring and how one of the scares is set up you might see things in the corner of a dark room for example blah blah and stylistically the movie looks good the church in romania looks great i mean a church is such a convention for a horror film but it looks very good i like that vera uh, sorry tessa farmiga yeah uh, who's little sister to vera she's i thought she was good and if if there isn't a tie-in to Lorraine Warren slash Vera Farmiga, God knows, I thought that was a strange casting decision, but she's very good. Damien Bashir is good. Bonnie Aaron scares the hell out of me as to none, just the look of her. But out out of makeup, she's a you know very attractive lady. But in makeup, man, she's a creepy looking, creepy looking horror villain. But for me, the story wasn't anything particularly brilliant. The third act, the third act begins with a bit of promise, but very quickly falls away and there's a few again i can't spare anything to spoil it but there's a few decisions which which kind of are the backstory to this film which are just i wrote well i think where on earth have they come up with these ideas to tie it all in it's it's ridiculous but you yeah. don't really get i mean you don't get all that much of a backstory of anything and you get a lot of cheap jump scares that aren't very effective but to me i didn't hate the film it didn't really bring much to the table of The Conjuring. It worked better. It was just a standalone film called The Nun rather than a connective tissue. There were some links, of course, but to me, it looked good, but that was really about it. And as a fan of the franchise, 
I wanted this to be the darkest chapter. I wanted this to scare the bejesus out of me, but just a half decent for me. What about yourself? I I don't. Um, I'm looking. I gave it two and a half stars on Letterbox. I I had a lot of problems with the story. Um, overall, I definitely don't think this is. There's been so many bad horror movies. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think this is one of those. Like, I don't think it's like in that that negative of a, of a range. But um, I did. I I laughed at several moments that I don't think I was supposed to think were funny. Um, and not at, not like at the scares or anything. I'm not one of those people that like, oh, it's not scary, so I laugh at it. But just some of the the choices they made were really lame and cheesy, and a lot of the decision the characters make. I'm just like, nope. I don't think any living person would do the thing you just did. Agreed. Um, and uh, the character Frenchie, played by Jonas Blaquette, uh, sorry for butchering that. I like the character, but he felt like he was channeling Brendan Fraser from The Mummy. The Mummy. <laughs> yeah, like really hard. Like he was trying to be that guy, and that felt so out of place in the tone of The Nun. Like I expected this to be much, much more dark, and I, I felt like they tried to be dark. And it it never came off that way to me. I I don't think I thought anything was scary except I, I we won't spoil, so I won't say exactly what I thought was scary. There was a, one or two like set piece type situations that I thought were genuinely horrifying, but it wasn't because of the movie. I think those things would be scary in any context, and that doesn't make it a good horror film. However, it's still way more competent than a, like Truth or Dare or Winchester mm-hmm. or Slenderman um, mm-hmm. or Hellfest. Um, <laughs> although Hellfest was still better than those first three, uh, in my opinion, I, I found, I found Hellfest to at least be like competent and that's the nuns competent. There's nothing like glaringly like, oh my gosh, this movie is, is garbage. It's definitely structured well enough, um, to be coherent, but man, it, it, it drops the boat. And I do think, uh, if I've read that the Farmiga connection is not supposed to be anything other than she was the best person who auditioned. But man, you cast someone that looks that much like, well, you cast a, a sister who looks that much like the other sister in a, a, a franchise film where there are these connections. How do you not make a connection out of that? Like that's the best connection you could have came up with was that it was like their, her relative or something. And that's where all of the hauntings are connected to their family line or something like that. And if they don't steer into that, I think that was a huge misstep casting someone like that. Cause she looks so much like Vera, like crazy. Yeah. Um, but I did, I really like Damien Bashir, Bashir, um, a whole lot in this movie. I, I was like, man, I like, I like this character. I don't entirely understand some of the setup of the movie. Like, I'm just like, is that what they do? Do they send priests like with nuns to investigate things like this? I don't, I don't know enough about it. So I'm buying into it. But at the same time, some of it is like, why would they do this? Like, why would they make him stay in this like p- potentially, you know, dangerous situation? But that's, I mean, movies you got to suspend your disbelief somewhat. Uh, so I don't know. Again, it, this is a little bit of like um, rust sitting on this review at this point because I saw this early in the in September, and it definitely isn't a movie that stuck with me. So I'm, I'm kind of, I think I'm, I'm being harsher on it now than I was when I first saw it. Like now I'm kind of dismissive of it. Like, uh, the nun, I guess. But, um, <laughs> I saw it in the, uh, in the Dolby theater, which is like a competitive, a competing IMAX thing we have happening over here. Um, which I've been seeing a lot of movies in because of, uh, my AMC A-list stubs pass. 
Um, so whenever I can see a film in the, the big theater with the nice recliner seats on with the best sound system, I think imaginable, I'm going to see a movie in there and the nun happened to be, uh, that, that week. And I don't know if it helped the movie, to be honest. Um, you know, like being on this, with this great sound system, there, there were at least three moments I distinctively remember laughing at what was happening on screen. <laughs> um, so at I don't least you know. felt comfy. Yeah, I was definitely very comfortable. Um, but yeah, that's, you know, I, I did, um, I liked the first Conjuring a whole lot. Um, I had issues with the second one. I thought, I thought the, uh, Crooked Man in the second one was too much. Um, it felt like a novelty. And then, uh, I actually have never seen the first Annabelle and I've been told I don't need to. Um, but I was actually a really big fan of Annabelle creation, partly because of the filmmaker as David F. Sandberg and he did Lights Out, um, which, I have like a, a storied history with where I came across that short film several years ago, presented it to my, um, my class as like, look at, you can do a really great film with almost nothing. Cause it's literally like a, a shot in a bedroom um, that you barely have anything. And the only part about the lights out short is I think the monster design is really kind of funny. Like I laugh every time I see it. Um, although I did have like one kid cry watching it back <laughs> in the day. Um, yeah. Uh, but um, he then did the Lights Out feature film, uh, which I thought was great. Like, I don't think it it's was good. perfect, but I really enjoyed that movie a whole lot. And I thought Annabelle Creation did a lot, too. I thought it was uh, compelling. Um, I think he's really good at establishing atmosphere and tone. And while there weren't a lot of jump scares in Annabelle Creation, I was generally, like, had a sense of dread for a big chunk of that movie. Yeah. Um, and then again, the the ending, much like with None, without spoiling anything, the, a lot of the extended universe aspect of the conjuring or the conjureverse as i think it is being called by many um it feels so forced like nobody outside of marvel has been able to pull off the extended universe in a way that feels natural and organic uh, and i think it's just like i feel like marvel has a big plan for it and i think every all the other universes are just being pieced together from episode to episode without a real plan behind it um and I, I think it's noticeable. Like every other ECU that's existed, whether we talk DC, uh, the Annabelle universe, or that horrid attempt of the Dark Universe from Universal, um, which <laughs> might be the best time. example of the worst. Like cram everything into one movie you can, because uh, they man cramming Jekyll and Hyde into the Mummy was like so awful. Um, not even the performance, just the like the storytelling of it. Like I actually thought Crow did a good job as Jekyll, but. Um, Nonetheless, uh, the nun. Nonetheless, I would say, yeah. Oh, geez, uh, accidental plans, folks. But um, I would <laughs> okay. say out of the four that I've seen of the five movies, the nun's number four for me. Like it's it's in the last place with Annabelle, the first one that I have not seen being currently, in my opinion, the last one simply because I haven't seen it. So, um, yeah, I would much rather rewatch the first Conjuring and then just stop there. Um, I actually think Creation might be ahead of Conjuring 2 for me, because I did yeah. have some issues with Conjuring 2. So. Yeah, Conjuring 2, I, I I didn't get on board, but that is my biggest disappointment of that year. For two and a half hours long, it took over an hour for them to actually get to London. Yeah. And when they did, it was Ed Warren singing Elvis Presley songs and fixing pipes for part of the film. I thinking, this is not what I've come to see. And The Crooked Man was awful, but hold tight, because there's a Crooked Man movie in, in almost is in the works, it's being, oh, it's no. being made. There's The Conjuring 3 is coming and Annabelle 3 is also coming. But what the franchise needs is James Wan back in the director's chair. Get him out of the producer's seat. Get him back directing and take give us that kind of throwback horror that The Conjuring was. 
I thought the nun was going to be that, but mm. it yeah, it was a it was a strange little modern take on a what seemed like it was just too, it was too slick, I think, for what it wanted to be. And like I say, where where is the Conjuring and even Annabelle to an extent? They feel like older films because of the way they're shot, uh, literally because of the way they are filmed mm-hmm. uh, and the way they present and the way they look. The nun didn't really have any of that. It just yeah. felt like I mean, it just felt like a standalone film which could have been set at any period. Any year in in time, and like you say, some of the some of the decisions are ridiculous. Yes, I get it's a it's a horror film, and you don't always follow logic. But I mean, yeah. there's so many things that happen. I mean, I'm not going to say anything, but would if if you're surrounded by wood, would you get a lighter out? No, yeah, but it happens. <laughs> it that threw me out completely. And there's yeah. a few other things which I'm not going to go into. But I we've been critical about it. I think I gave it a three and out of five on Letterbox. So only just a half star up, but. Yeah, I didn't dislike it. I was just nonplussed by quite a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And again, we're going in with this like we we want it to be good because we like yeah. the Conjuring so much, and we saw what it could be. And everyone after has been. I mean, you expect sequels to to degrade over time, um, but the Nun, I think. Well, I, again, I haven't seen Annabelle. I've heard really bad things about Annabelle, so it's maybe the n- Nun was a step up from that. But it was a step up from. I think. I still need to dwell on it somewhat, but it's either three, it's either third or fourth position for me. Annabelle is last, and then it's a toss-up between the Nun and the Conjuring Two mm. as to what I prefer. I really didn't like the Conjuring Two, so I think the Nun was going to go in at third place behind yeah. the original Conjuring and Creation. I think I was kinder to Conjuring Two than I'm being to the Nun, but partly because, like, I've noticed James Wan clearly has a has a click. Like he's clicked with Patrick Wilson because he's in Insidious mm-hmm. and he's in Aquaman too, yeah. um, not Aquaman too, but also. And so <laughs> obviously him and James Wan. And I just found out apparently uh, Patrick Wilson's not uh, from not far where I live in Florida. I didn't realize he has, still has family here. Nice. And I guess one of his brothers is like a newscaster for like the Tampa uh, Fox News or something. Um, so I had no clue about that, but I learned that this weekend. Um, I think during the Aquaman trailer, which. I a five minute I, long trailer, dude, and I can't, I just don't see what everyone else is seeing. I am so not sold on Aquaman, um, and I like Aquaman as a comic book character. I'm not sold on the movie. Um, I'm not sold on the classic suit either with Jason Momoa in it. Yeah, although the the poster I saw of it I thought looked really cool. Um, but yeah, it's still like it's a hard suit to sell. Uh, yeah. It was it's a hard suit to sell in the comics. They went away from it for a long time because it was <laughs> just you know it's too orange. Um, that said, let's get into our third movie for the month of September. Let's do it. Um, this is the new Eli Roth film that stars, uh, Jack Black, Kate Blanchett, Owen Vaccaro, and, um, a couple other actors that are worthy of being named. Um, one who is totally not used well, Kyle MacLachlan, most famous for uh, the Twin Peaks, uh, series. Um, um, there's, where's the other kid? Ah, Sonny Suljic, who is, um quite possibly one of the better uh, male kid actors acting right now. Um, he'll be in mid-90s, Jonah Hill's debut, directorial yeah. debut, and he was in uh, one of my favorite movies from last year, Killing of a Sacred Deer, Sacred Deer the uh, Logos Lanthimos film, who I am a uh, big, big fan of his work, even the ones that make me severely uncomfortable, which is <laughs> most of them. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but uh, House of the Clock in Its Walls is the name of the film, um, a young orphan named Louis Barnevelt aids his magical uncle in locating a clock with the power to bring about the end of the world, uh, based on a series of books, which I believe is like 12 long or something like that. It's like 
It's 12, yeah. Yeah, a huge long series I knew nothing about going into this movie. I'm not a fan of the books. Not I'm not not a fan of the books. I've just never read or heard about them at all, which I think says something. I teach high school. Now, this might be geared for a younger audience in high school, but most of these books, especially when there's 12 of them, takes they usually flow into high school. You know, like people read uh, Percy Jackson series, which the first five Percy Jackson books are much, they're written for a middle school age. I think mm-hmm. the later books get a little thicker and a little more complex writing-wise, but you know, high school kids still read those, and uh, I've never—I don't recall ever seeing anyone walking around with these books. So I know very little about them whatsoever. Um, I am—I am of the disposition that I want to like Eli Roth, but I think I don't like Eli Roth um, for the <laughs> most part. Um, I haven't seen many of his directorial films, um, and I did see Death Wish from this year as well, mm-hmm. uh, which was awful. And um, I don't think House of the Clock and Walls is awful. I do think one of the worst things that happened was the casting of its lead, Owen Vaccaro, um, who I don't want to diss a child actor. But being completely real here, they cast him against Sonny Soljic, and you put a talented actor against a moderate third card kind of player. Like, you put everything on this kid. He has to carry this movie. And at times, he does okay. But there are three moments in this film where... Everything is put on his reaction, and he cannot nail it. Um, I won't say what happens, but the kid cannot cry. He cries like someone who's never seen a human piece, a human Claire person Dines. cry before. And Claire Danes is um, my easily my least favorite crier. He might be worse than Claire Danes. Um, wow! No offense, again, he's a kid though. Claire Danes was is still an adult, still can't nail the crying. Um, but what made this movie for me, why I still managed to enjoy it, despite having some harsh criticisms, was Jack Black and Kate Blanchett. Um, I do think Kyle MacLachlan is criminally underused in this movie. Uh, yes. But Kate Blanchett is so charming, and I, lo- I love the chemistry between her and Jack Black. Um, I was listening to uh, Battleship Pretension uh, not long ago, uh, and they um, Tyler from Battleship Pretension discussed his point of view. And he made a point that I hadn't thought of, but that Jack Black's character does seem to be kind of confused with what he is in this film, like what his role is. And I kind of agree with that, but I didn't blame that on Jack Black. I blame that on the story. I felt like the story didn't know how to use the uncle. Like, because there are some of the, he gets mad about some weird things that like don't really make sense why he's so mad there. And then other times he's so relaxed. And even, I feel like the world building is like slightly flawed because uh early when the kid first ends up there um he's like here have a cookie and he's like wait should i want i ruin my dinner and he's like why well, have dinner we can just have cookies they're better it's like okay i'm in with that premise i agree in fact cookies are better but i would die on those well and that's just it if that's all he's eating and that seems to be the implication why isn't he dead because there's nothing about this movie that says this is like some fictional world. It's our world with magic in it. But why is why are cookies not killing him? Like that's all he's eating. Like, why aren't you dead? Yeah, like like this kid would be like sick if all he was eating is sugar. Like, and that's a that's a small nitpick. But I do think like the world itself that the movie's in is slightly unclear at times of like what the rules are and what the um what you know, how much of the world is, is really our world with magic in it versus, like, this whole other set of rules. And the kid seems to be from our world in the sense that he, like, and again, it's set in the past, but still, like, 
um you know he he asks about dinner and he seems like he wants like stability and he never gets that um and while that's just one example i feel like nothing comes of it he doesn't get like a stomach ache and then the uncle has to figure out how do i be a responsible adult like there's none of that in the movie um and i think that's lacking uh story-wise and i don't know if that's the book or if that's the the you know visualization of it um but overall i i i had enough fun where i didn't hate the movie but it's only because of jack black and kate blanchett um i really do feel like the kid just can't carry what eli roth is asking him to do and whether that's roth's fault for casting him um or somebody else's fault for casting him and again i'm not saying the kid doesn't deserve to work i'm not saying he's a bad actor I'm saying maybe he's not at that skill set yet where he should be leading a film that he needs to still work and develop a little more. Yeah, I mean, seasoned actors are put in the wrong role sometimes and mm-hmm. they glaringly miscast. So I fully understand what you're saying. And yeah, it's I'm pretty sure young Owen's going to go on to do very well in his, in his acting career because he's, he was cast for a reason, obviously, but yeah. it just didn't work out this time. And I agree with you. It, I, it, to, he wasn't the most convincing lead in the film. And sometimes I do feel bad judging a child, even though, you know, yeah. they're still there doing the same job as the, an adult. So, you know, but it, he wasn't the most convincing and at times wasn't the best actor for the role. So I also have agreed with that. But uh, just quickly, the box office again, $89.8 million worldwide against a $42 million budget. So it's <laughs> it's struggling at the box office, put it like that. But yeah, I, mean, I don't. I know. I only know a little bit about the books. They're forty-five years old. There was twelve oh. in, in the series, but they are sort of supernatural, a bit dark and a bit creepy, and they're kind of like children's horror, uh, effectively, essentially children's yeah. horror. So, or at least eerie mystery stories. So, getting Eli Roth on board doesn't sound quite as mad as it may seem. But so, but I don't know if it's what happened in production, whether it's this Universal Pictures decided well. These films are the, the books are creepy, but we want to kind of make we want to take it down a you know more child friendly path. And I kind of alluded in my review that these feel like the first few Harry Potter films, but it just lacks their charm and their affability. It's a bit mundane. It's not quite as magical as I think it needs to be, yeah. and it wanted to be a bit like Goosebumps esque to me, partly because Jack Black's in it. But yeah, Jack yeah. Black and Kate Blanchett together are the best part of the film. The snarky and argumentative friends friends frenemies whatever you want to call them they're it's a weird a curious pairing because we, uh, to put the two of them together and expect them to work but they do jack black is his kind of sort of wild animated self and kate blanchett's very just, she's a staunch bundle of just snark and class very yeah. upper class but yeah our own vicaro sadly but again alongside those two is bad enough but like you've mentioned sonny soldier is he is a very these very good child actor and you know he he wins the battle this time, but in terms of the film, I don't know it. It went for, the atmosphere went from sort of trying to be funny to adventurous to have some sort of jump scares thrown in there. Didn't work for me. Some yeah. of the and and for the kids, I think some of the you know some of the the nasties that are in the film might be a bit frightening for the kids. I could see that. But, and um, I, I was um I thought some of the the plot points at the school, like the whole bullying side, like subplot just felt unnecessary like i don't feel like it it didn't add anything to the overall story i get why it's there and i think in the book it probably would make more sense um but it ultimately just felt like it was dragging the film down it's only an hour and 45 minutes and yet it still felt like it was like grinding to a halt 
because we would start to make a little headway with the magic and then we would just have this subplot of him trying to find you know a friend and it just it just never paid off in the end like it's not the reason why he gets tricked or why things go a certain way or why you know and i'm not saying what if that actually happened i'm saying the moments that i'm talking about with the the bullying felt like hey we're making a movie for kids so we have to have like some anti-bullying message embedded in it and it just it it felt like required it didn't feel like it was a necessary part of the story it felt it was like one of those checklists like you're supposed to have this anti-bullying message in a modern film that features a child especially a child who's weird or nerdy as this kid is uh depicted partly i mean even even the weird character quirk that he like reads dictionaries it's like okay that's barely gonna play a factor in the plot and again I think that's one of those moments that I mentioned where when it does play a factor, it's not delivered well by Vaccaro. And yeah, I don't yeah, want The editing in this film is doesn't help at all. I think we've both agreed that you could probably knock ten or fifteen minutes off this film, and it yeah. probably wouldn't. Whether it'd make it a better film, I don't know. But it would tighten things up and balance it out somewhat because it is very uneven. The to- the tones are all over the place. It this I think. Uh, on the flip side to the nun, I think you prefer this film more than I did. I, I want, I, I, like I said, I wanted that kind of philosophy or sorcerer's stone for you guys over there, chamber of secrets feel where everything has that kind of childlike wonder to it, yet still had a fairly decent story to tell. And a lot of that was just missing for this. And well, there's twelve stories to mine, and the first film, whether they wanted to go further with this or not, but. You know they've kind of fallen flat on the first hurdle for me, but yeah, I don't know it. Would I when my daughter's old enough to watch it? Will I be rushing out to show it to her? No, I think <laughs> not. And that's yeah. kind of how I'm gonna eventually start to look at these films. Would my daughter like these? Yeah. Yes, no, yeah. maybe. This film, I wouldn't be rushing out to show it to her. Partly because it might probably maybe because it was scary, but I don't think it would hold her attention all that well, to be honest. But that's just me, and. Yeah. I struggled a lot with this film. I wanted it. Like, I think, like a lot of people, I wanted it. Probably expected, actually, because the trailers are very good, actually. Yeah. I wanted it to be magical and fun and have that kind of sort of, you know, childlike eeriness to it, but like a Tim Burton-esque sort of feel to it. But I didn't get it. And either, I, just sort of, I just felt disappointed coming out of the theatre when I really yeah. just wanted to kind of be a bit more upbeat and bouncy about it yeah and some of my the issues i have would be spoilers so i won't say like specifics but um i do think one of the missteps is this movie does in a lot of ways resemble goosebumps and casting jack black who i thought did a great job it does create some you know especially if you know i don't know how your marketing's been over there for goosebumps too but until house of the clock in the walls came out they had not shown that jack black was back in goosebumps too like, they were afraid to, like, people would confuse the two movies because they look so similar. And I'm like, that that says something. Maybe you should have cast somebody different. Um, again, Jack Black does a good job, but when the movies are so similar visually, especially stylistically, um, from Goosebumps 1 to this one, that the new movie for Goosebumps 2 was afraid to show Jack Black in the trailer for fear of confusion, that says something. And maybe cast somebody different. But again... I thought him and Blanchett played off each other so well. I'm glad they cast him, but um, yeah, that, that that's it. I think we have nothing else to say about House of the Clock and the Walls, but we got a Pretty little much. to our last big movie for the month, Matt, and you get the the pleasure of introducing this one. 
a pleasure will have to be all mine because John's handed me this for this this <laughs> honour. Uh, we are going for the Predator, 123.1 million worldwide off an 88 million dollar budget. Again, we've got another film which is struggling to basically break even. The Predator. It's the, the synopsis. When a young boy accidentally triggers the universe's most lethal hunters return to Earth, only a ragtag crew of ex-soldiers and a disgruntled scientist can prevent the end of the human race. <sighs> well, I, firstly, the first thing, Shane Black directs this film. So we have Shane, Shane Black directing, who was obviously in the original Predator film. He had a small part. We then have Boyd Holbrook, Travante Rhodes, uh, Jacob Tremblay, who is, a, who is a very good child actor. I think Olivia Munn's in it, Keegan-Michael Key, Sterling K. Brown, Thomas Jane, Alfie Allen's in the film. I, I promise he is in the film. Jake Boosie. There's a good cast to this film. Nobody can deny that this cast and director isn't up there with up there with you know one of the better ones at the end of the year. It's a really talented cast, I think. I had high hopes for the Predator. I liked the first the the first Predator film, like a lot of people, the Arnie film. Predator two, not so much. And then from there off it got worse and worse. I didn't mind Predators with Adrian Brody. I thought that was quite good. It wasn't excellent by any means, but I thought it was okay. The Predator, though, I thought we we're going to get something new because that's what that's what Shane Black had been touting. We can get something new, yeah. dark, grimy, a horror film. But I don't know what film he was talking about because it wasn't The Predator. It took elements from all the other films and didn't really do much else with them. And it took the worst parts of bad films or the best part of bad films and came up with a film that wasn't very good. The positives, Boyd Holbrook was good leading the role. He was good in Logan last year. He was good in this film. He isn't, he has nobody's gonna have the physical presence of Schwarzenegger. But he's he makes a convincing action hero. Yeah. Travonto Road steps down from Moonlight and is I liked him in here. Olivia Munn, she's badass with a gun, but get but as is a problem with female characters in these films, her character is undersold. The 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 gang who are called the Loonies, where we get people like Thomas Jane and Keegan Michael Key they got some good lines between them, but they are the expendables of this film. Mm. And I haven't come to see The Predator for any kind of Shakespearean monologues or acting. I came to see an alien tear people apart left, right and centre. And those aspects of the film, I loved it. I loved seeing The Predator just causing havoc, tearing fools left, right and centre. I liked the... I, I think I'm one of the only people who liked the mega predator or the upgraded predator because mm. that guy... He was only when he was on, just tore everything to pieces. I like that. The other seventy-five percent of the film is not. I'm going to be polite. It's not good. It's so. It's just messy plot points, mm. eye-rolling logic stretches in a film that contains killer space aliens. The logic here is terrible. The young Jacob Tremblay's character, again, I like him as an actor. Yeah. But his character in this wound me up no end. He is the oh. Deus Ex Machina. You get predator dogs, which are in a trailer, which are ridiculous. You get rehashed lines from the first few films. We get to get to the chopper again. There's no spoiler, but we get to get there. Yeah. Some of the humour's okay, apart from one Tourette's exchange in a hotel room, which I oh, just Jesus. I, that was bad. It went over too long, and it I, I almost could I thought I could see Olivia Munn trying to rip up her contract at that moment. Yeah. But I don't know the, the film itself felt like the Alien versus Predator films a lot for more for me, which is not what I wanted from this film. So, yeah. in a nutshell, I 
wanted to like this film. I like the Predator itself, you know, doing what the Predator does. There are minor moments elsewhere which worked, but otherwise, this I was so disappointed coming out of the theatre because I really wanted this to be the start of something new. And I know that the studio wants this to be the start of, you know, maybe a Predator franchise, but they ain't getting it, however much they want it, I think. Yeah, one, I am a pretty big fan of Shane Black's films. I like Iron Man 3 a whole lot. Um, I think I was a bigger advocate for it than many people. Um, I love the nice guys. Like the nice guys completely won me over, and I went into this so excited because I, of a lot of like like the alien monsters. I love the Predator. I think the Predator is such a cool design. Um, I I was so hyped for Alien versus Predator, only to be severely disappointed mm-hmm. because again I was there to see the alien and the Predator. I didn't That's care about the, the human characters in that movie. Um, and it just did not, they did not deliver on that, uh, AVP Requiem, there was some better stuff in Requiem, but overall still horrible. Um, but I, and I don't like Predators, I, I don't dislike Predators, but I actually like, I haven't seen the second one in years, but when I was a kid, I liked the second one a whole lot. I thought there was some Danny really Glover. cool stuff, and Danny Glover, I am a huge Danny Glover. <laughs> but, um... I, so I was really hyped for this, and I didn't even really pay attention to much of the cast, to be honest, because I was going because it was Shane Black and the Predator. Um, it wasn't I don't like I didn't realize Thomas Jane was going to be in it, and I am uh, one of the few people who really still support the 2004 Punisher film um, because of Thomas Jane. Like I loved him as the Punisher, even though the movie's not great and it does not hold up. I don't think over the 14 years that it came out, but um, and I love Keegan Michael Key. And I, I'd love to see him get to not be the funny guy in a movie, although he's naturally funny. He always cracks me up, even in this, where I think a lot of the jokes are either out of place or uh, just like Shane Black seems so oblivious to what time he's in in this movie. Like, it doesn't feel like he's aware that 2018 is happening. Um, <laughs> some of the jokes, like you mentioned with the, the, the hotel room one, really awful. And then there was the whole outside of the film controversy that one of the actors was a sexual predator and they cut yep. the scene out of the movie. But like, it's like, dude, are you like paying attention to what world you're in anymore? Um, I did think Trevante Rhodes and Boyd Holbrook were really solid. Sterling K. Brown, I thought did a terrific job because it felt like his character knew that his movie was garbage. <laughs> and was he, knew like, his, he knew his character was cardboard. Yeah. And it was, so he went real big, like super big with the role. I mean, there are so many things that I don't know if they are technically plot holes but there are just huge leaps in logic that are awful. Uh, yeah. The dialogue is cringy at times, which I don't like using the word cringy, but sometimes it's the appropriate word. This is one of those times. There's not a better word than cringy. I rolled my eyes several times in this movie. Um, there are so many things that don't make sense. Characters get weapons out of nowhere and things go wrong. and You know, uh, just overall garbage. And even one of the biggest plot points in the movie is involving the you mentioned two predators in this film. There's the regular predator that we've seen in the other films, and then the uh, upgraded predator, which is in the trailer. I must add. Okay, um, I, I wasn't sure about that. I was like, oh, it's already it was, a, no, it, cats out of it the bag. It was in so. the trailer. Yep, yeah. it was um, in the trailer. Every marketing tool had it. Every magazine I read had images and descriptions of it. So, and it was in the trailer. So I won't say what the plot point was, but the the regular predator. We are told later in the film that hit, that predator had a goal. But nothing that that Predator did from the time he arrives in the film ever expresses that he had the goal they're claiming he had. Like, it is literally, like, 
tell us one thing and show us something 100% different than what you're telling us and expecting us to just buy into that as our plot point. And I was just like, wait a minute. You're telling me that he was doing A, but clearly he was doing B. Like, it is 100% wrong. And that's kind of this movie in a nutshell. Everything they do is, like, so bad. Um, Jacob Tremblay's character, uh, Rory, who is the son to Quinn, which is uh, Boyd Holbrook's character, my god, um, they stereotype, in, in general, this movie's treatment of mental health disorders, while uh-huh. it's trying to be an advocate for them in a weird way, um, it's like he's not done any research on behaviors or mannerisms of the different disorders. Uh, did, I believe you mentioned Tourette's um, in your yes. reference to Thomas Jane. That is the like one of the most stereotypical Tourette's performances I've ever seen. Um, and it, at some point, it kind of vanishes from the character. Like, he just gets cured. <laughs> um, I guess if you see enough bloodshed, it just stops. Um, yeah, there's so many things that are just absolutely bad. Um, it even kind of mocks PTSD, I think, in, in some ways. Um, not necessarily in a totally hurtful way, but definitely not playing it up as a true, like, disorder like it, it can be. And... Um, I don't know that the Predator needs to do that, mind you. But keep in mind, this isn't a movie that I'm expecting to, like, be... I don't know that it should be advocating for, like, mental health disorder. It's the Predator. Like... Yeah, you don't You don't go to... Yeah, it's, it's honourable, admirable, so that they try and weave stuff in. But as I, as I mentioned, you don't get... Uh, it, this is a massive sweeping statement. But for the majority of people, I don't think go to watch the Predator for deep messages and anything of that sort. They just want to... Yeah. And it's not to me, you can't have a compelling story, but that's not what this is. This is like fragments of story taped together with disorders and things to, they're like, oh yeah, do these civil rights things. But it's like, but none of the messages you're conveying are truly like supporting that idea. So yeah, if you want to make a movie that like outreaches, you can, but don't package it in a predator thing because it's just not going to, it, it feels like somebody wrapped a present with like duct tape and newspaper comic strips. And it's just this like mess of a box that he's like, here's my finished product. And you're like, Oh (laughs) wow. Um, it's called the predator. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) And yeah. And that joke, by the way, like it's not really a predator. It's a hunter that they (laughs) cram in like four times. It's like, yeah. Okay. So you're, you're, you're making fun of like a series that you're supposed to like be endearing us to like what is what's the goal and you didn't change the name of the movie the movie's still called the freaking predator and everyone <laughs> continues to call the alien the predator despite the acknowledgement that it's not really a predator you know it's like why even waste our time with that joke um especially as, again if it was a throwaway line once fine it's not it is crammed down our throats it's at least recurring. three times so yeah um really disappointed with this movie like on every aspect um Still not the worst movie I've seen this year, but still, no, no. it's not far from. Yeah, but. yeah, it's it's definitely bad, and I I won't even say like I managed to enjoy enough of this movie that I wasn't mad when it was over, but I was just like, wow, what a freaking misstep this movie is. I mean, we are we are parents, and we were we weren't mad. We were just disappointed yes. when we came out of this, and that is exactly. It. And just on your point, you you put up a very prevalent point about Shane Black's kind of where his head was and where he was, whether he still thought this film was, he was still filming in the 80s. What I will say, I may catch some heat for this, but the Predator to me just sort of 
stank of like macho-ness. Very manly. It's a very yeah. manly film. I mean, Olivia Munn's there. She gets to have a gun. She get you know, she, she's there to do a few things. But in the end of the day, it's all about the men with their big guns and their cigarettes and how many jokes they can say and how they can act like idiots around women. And, I don't know. Maybe uh, to me, it just came. The testosterone was sort of, sort of dripping through the screen. Again, nothing wrong with a you know a tough action film, but I don't know. There's kind of there wasn't much no any nuance to it. And I, whether that sounds hypocritical that you, from what I've just said about what you want from a predator film, but you still want a decent film. You still want something in there to to you endear yourself to the people on screen. Surely, otherwise, just put this straight out to DVD and let it be done with it. But yeah, I was disappointed by an awful lot of it, but it, the predators, the predators were great, but that was really about it. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Um, yeah, and that concludes the month of September, or at least the four big movies for the month. Um, we are going to kind of go into uh, other movies that we have watched this month. Um, we won't spend a lot of time on them. But we're going to wrap this up kind of quickly, um, and then uh, we will, of course, um, conclude with a, a like you know a goodbye and whatnot. So. Matt um, and I both saw a lot of other movies in September. So despite it being a kind of um, not so big month, my other favorite film, which I don't think you've seen, Matt, I don't think it's out yet um, over there, is Assassination Nation. Um, it's you have... not out over here, but I've heard the hype and I've seen that the Assassination Nation social media team are on the ball. Ah, well, from what I've seen, this movie is getting a lot of, like, varying uh responses it has looking at imdb it has a 5.9 imdb user rating which doesn't always mean something but that's pretty low for imdb and then it's a 53 metascore so those two kind of match and that's not always common either a lot of times you'll see the critic score being really high and the the imdb user score down slightly or the other way around um i was really impressed with this movie it is very stylized um and i enjoyed the style a lot um i actually was really kind of I, I feel like there's so many little um, messages in this film, but um, I'm not going to go into a big uh, you know review of it. Uh, I think one of the biggest missteps, which does not hurt this movie, but they cast Suki Waterhouse, who was in mm-hmm. The Bad Batch. Um, yes. And I thought she was so good in that. She's barely used in this movie, and she's one of like the main four girls. Um, so I was a little surprised at, at how little she was used. But that's not a that's not a complaint. That's more of like, man, you had her and you didn't use her, and I still thought this movie was amazing. That's impressive. Um, Odessa Young is really the main lead, and then um, I think it's pronounced Hari Neff, or Hari Neff, yep. Um, it, who uh, is gets a, a breakout performance. This movie does some amazing stuff, and it has some big name people in it: Bill Skarsgård, Joe McHale, um, Bella Thorne. All have minor mm-hmm. roles though, but yet important roles. Like they're all they're not the main characters. Your main four are Desi Young, Harry Neff, Suki Waterhouse, and Abra. Um, they're the the four girls that you see with the like the red jackets on the, the posters. I do not think everyone will like this movie. I love this movie. I thought it was brilliant. My daughter thought it was brilliant. She's fourteen and is definitely a social justice warrior and found a lot that this movie had to say. Um, and the way in which it says it was really compelling and uh, intriguing. There is a sequence, um, I won't go into details, but there is people trying to break into a house, and the way it is shot is so phenomenal. I don't always spend time like breaking down a sequence, especially not in a movie I've only watched once, but it was so burned into my brain, and I was so blown away by it. And again, 
it is one of those things where I could see someone arguing that it's the worst part of the movie, that it's over-stylized and it's just showy, it's not blah, blah. I thought it was great, and I, I, I thought it did a terrific job building tension. I was, I was really impressed. Um, and I saw it like on a Monday at like 5 p.m. I was literally, it was me, <laughs> my daughter, and my, my editor for Book Reviews, uh, David. Um, it was the three of us. That was it. That was literally the only people in the theater. And all three of us were just absolutely in love with this movie. We walked out raving about it. I think we talked in the parking lot for like 15 minutes just about how uh, shocked we were. Because we went in minimal expectations and walked out completely uh, for it. So I, I won't talk as much about the other movies on the list. But um, since you haven't seen it and it's a film that I do think, um, again, I don't think everyone's going to like. But if if you have similar sensibilities to me. Um, there's a good chance this is going to be high on your list. Uh, Big Tuna, who sometimes writes for me, he's now writing for um, MonstersVsRobots.co. Uh, well done, Big Tuna. Yes, uh, making some progress. Um, he uh, also really enjoyed this movie. I think it's in his top ten for the year. Um, wow. And mine's in, it's in the top twenty for me, and it might move up actually because I am I, I'm still like negotiating the list. Um, but I I was. It was a movie, again, that I went in with just like, I hope it's entertaining. And I walked out like, wow, it was entertaining and had uh, some really cool ways of being entertaining and had some really poignant things to say about the time we're living in, especially here in the States. Um, These films always, always intrigue me because just hearing you say that you're either going to love it or you're really not going to love it. Those kind of films really get me because you you, you, you know you're going to go in. And you're going to come out either on one end of the scale. There's kind of no in between. And I mentioned the social media following. I haven't seen the film. Uh, I'm looking forward to it. And I am certainly going to see it when it does come out over here. But there's one. If there's any, if I need to know anything about the film, I've mentioned social media. Just check out the Twitter feed for Assassination Nation, the official one. Anybody who has anything bad to say against this film is getting shot down by the official page. And it's just snark, sass confidence arrogance whatever you want to call it but that kind of already sets me up for what i think i'm going to get in this film um and by the sounds of it how from what i've heard and seen bring it on i've got about i think i've got another five or six weeks and i come out to it in november over here but oh, man. i'm looking forward to it again I, I i've stayed away from reviews like i do for most films but or you know at least uh in-depth reviews but from what I have heard about this film is it has come across as very divisive. So yeah. I'm looking forward to it. But it's got, it's got the book seal of approval. So yes, and the, in a bit more confidence. Well, I don't mean this as an insult, but there is definitely going to be people who don't like this movie because they see themselves or their viewpoints under attack. I can um, imagine. Yeah. yeah. And so that's definitely going to make some people um, dislike this because if you feel like a movie is pointing at you and saying you suck or you're wrong you might get defensive, you know, and that this movie definitely is, is calling some people out. Um, and I'm not saying I'm innocent of all of the things they say. Cause I, you know, there are things about like me that I wish I hadn't been a certain, like I was very homophobic, uh, and homophobic may not be accurate. I was afraid of being gay myself. Mm-hmm. Like I was genuinely like, I wasn't sure how that worked. I didn't, you know? Um, and I was afraid of like, if I were gay, could I handle the the ridicule? And I don't think I could have um, because I, I didn't handle being picked on for the things that I was like being chunky or having a horrible haircut. For most of my life, I, I, I rocked a bowl cut through most of high school. I'll um, pay you on that brother. Yeah. <laughs> and so, you know, um, like I don't think I could have handled that. And so I was, I, I was more afraid of being gay than I was afraid of like gay people 
but I, I did, I think I expressed, you know, I used the word gay um, derogatorily, like, you know, when I would say, instead of saying that's stupid, we would say that's gay in the 90s. That was a common expression, which in hindsight, I regret so much. But I was a, a kid and I was trying to fit in and I was also trying to distance myself because in sixth grade, a person told me I had a gay walk. And one, I didn't know what that meant. All it made me do is that anytime I had to walk in front of large groups of people, I was very self-conscious and would try to like walk differently, which I'm sure made me look worse. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, And I still to this day don't know what what about my walk made that person say that to me. But that's the type of thing that I'm talking about. And so there are things that happen in this film where I can relate and I could see like I'm like I'm guilty of some of the things that they're saying. But I also knew that I was guilty. And those are parts of me that I've either tried to erase completely and you know fix or i am trying to fix if it's something still i don't think there's anything still i think i'm at a point or that those those homophobic tendencies i had in the 90s are long gone um but nonetheless like i can totally see this movie just rubbing people raw and them hating it for that reason it's more like i hate you because you called me on my crap than it is like because your movie is bad um but you know uh, that's it's definitely uh it's clearly divisive it seems to be splitting audiences almost down the middle um my myself my daughter and my friend we all loved it so hopefully matt you will as well and if not of course that's fine too we respect each other's opinions and yeah. i'm content I'll, i will be awfully honest whether i do or like it or not i hope i do and yeah just on that everything you've just said is what i've heard lots of people don't like it because it reflects upon parts of society today and people and I've, that's a lot of what i've been seeing and that's what the twitter account for this film has actually been going after the people who are attacking the film for raising issues which maybe don't align with their own beliefs so you know some people may look at that as suffocating but hell i guess you have to wait till you see the film like john has to be able to give your opinion on that so i'm looking forward to it but i've got a gruelingly long five week wait yet all right. Well, let's uh, knock out these other ones. Um, Matt, uh, the only other one that I've seen that you haven't seen is Kin. That's K-I-N. Um, Kin is is pretty much garbage. Um, <laughs> I really wanted it to be good because, one, I am a huge fan of Jack Rayner. Um, I first became aware of him as an actor with Sing Street, although the first That's film I saw with him was uh, Transformers. Um the what's the first one with Wahlberg? Age of uh, Extinction, Transformers, and uh, whatever it was, it was that wasn't very good. No, it wasn't. But Jack Rayner wasn't bad. <laughs> he was the girlfriend, the daughter's boyfriend. Um, but I I really like Jack Rayner in Sing Street. I loved him in Free Fire, uh, which yeah, I think oh, technically was this year. It might have been last year. I can't keep up with when it things. was last year. I believe um, Free Fire was a really awesome A twenty four film that not nearly enough people saw. Um, this movie also pulls in Zoe Kravitz. Um, but I'll tell you what, James Franco, who I am not always a fan of, I actually would say I dislike him more often than I like him. Oh man, his character is insane in this movie and not in a good way. Um, it is like, there is a part, and this is early, early in the film, when we first meet James Franco's character, he's like a drug kingpin kind of character, but like, not like kingpin, like fancy drug, like white trash drug kingpin kind of thing where we... We go to his house, he's got prostitution, meth being made, and also selling, you know, dealing drugs. We go into the basement where he is, and there's a, one of his thugs is in the corner. And the guy turns around to say something, he's like, did I tell you to take your nose out of the corner? He literally has one of his people on timeout in this movie. 
and then is a ruthless killer later. Like, it is ridiculous the amount of ruthless killing that happens in this movie. Um, there's so much wrong with this film. It's really, really disappointing. That said, I did like Jack Rayner a whole lot. I also thought the lead kid, Miles Truitt, does a solid job. But the movie that they're put in is just bad. Um, yeah, not not what I was hoping for. I was really hoping for something compelling and interesting. There's another big name actor in this movie too, but it's kind of a surprise cameo. Um, I, you could probably find it if you go looking on IMDb. In case you want to see this movie, any listener, um, I won't say who it is. But I was really shocked when it happened. I was like, why did he do this movie? Um, like, he, he, totally his stock is so high right now. Why would he do this garbage of a script? Um, and it, the way his character comes in implies like he would be a future character in another movie. Like, like that kind of hope behind this. I'm like, did he read the script? So <laughs> the, those are the two movies that Matt uh, did not see. And then everything else we both saw. Um, so you want to start us off with one? Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to rush out to see Kin. I will watch it, but I'm in, in no rush. So going down the list then, whoa, wow. So the first one that we both saw is Life Itself. And I, I, so we're going to brush through these, but I'll just read off the cast list. Oscar Isaac, Olivia Wilde, Annette Benning, Mandy Patinkin, uh, Olivia Cook, uh, Antonio Bandera, Samuel L. Jackson. You're going to sit there and think, wow. This sounds like a brilliant cast. Dan Fogelman of I think This Is Us he's doing at the minute on TV. What a superb array of talent. And by God, what an absolutely horrible film this is. <laughs> I did not like this film at all. It's, it's, got, it's set up in five chapters. Yeah. And everyone is just there to try and manipulate you into feeling bad, into feeling sad, to make you cry. It's pretentious. It's just... Uh, I... There's nothing more I could say to this film other than I really just utterly did not like this film. And with with that cast list, again, I expected this film, just from a synopsis and from the cast list, which again is very generalising, but I thought this is going to at least feel uh, be performed well and it's gonna, I'm going to enjoy certain elements of it. But it's just, it's like being beaten in the head with a baseball bat, which has the word cry on it it's desperately <laughs> trying to get you to feel bad and uh, nothing more i can say about it it's just melodramatic and it's it is melodramatic it's without worse. question a melodrama of epic proportions every chapter gets worse and worse for me but for me i didn't like this film at all and this is this is where john said he loved it but i didn't like it i didn't love it but i definitely did not hate it um i found you know i went i went in knowing it was going to be a melodrama uh, I'll tell you what won me over, though, was the opening with Samuel L. Jackson as the narrator. I had no idea he was in it, and that humor right away just kind of, like, pulled me in. Um, it, it's kind of, I guess it's a spoiler, only because it's not... It, it establishes something about the film that is a theme that the film beats you over the head with, is uh, the unreliable narrator. But it's a theme that I'm really compelled by, and I found super interesting in a melodrama, because it is... A heightened reality anyways and melodramas do go all in and everything is bigger and this one is um focusing on the idea of, of kind of in a way destiny which i don't always buy into that kind of thing but um i don't know i i did like the performances i thought antonio banderas's character was unbelievably sincere 
And that's not something you always get to see him do, especially in his later years. He seems to have fallen as almost like a comedic relief in movies or like mm-hmm. his movies themselves are comedic relief. They're like, oh, you've seen good movies. Well, here's some bad ones that went straight to DVD. <laughs> and here he's so sincere. And it's like, oh, yeah, this guy needs to be in some dramas, man. He's a talented actor. Um, this, just some of the, the looks he gives in this movie, I thought were so stupendous. Um, I do want to point out uh, Lorenza Izzo who yep. is um, in both House of the Clock on the Walls and this movie. Uh, that's Eli Roth's wife. and um, I did not know that. Yeah, she's also in uh, The Green Inferno. Um, uh, Eli Roth and her were on Douglas Movies a, a few years ago when they were promoting Green Inferno. And so I, I've uh, been kind of familiar with her, and I was surprised to see her in this right after watching House of the Clock on the Walls like the week before. But I'm a huge Olivia Cook fan. Um, I am oh, a big fan. fan. Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, uh, I, I've turned many of my students into film lovers with that movie. A lot of film people hate on that film because of some of the magic surrealism. And, um, you know, it's very artsy in a way that feels like they're trying to be artsy. But I'll tell you what, man, it, kids connect with the story in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. And it introduces them to film style that you don't get in a lot of other movies. Plus yeah, the fact that. that your main characters are film enthusiasts of obscure films or like film school films you know you're watching they watch they make parodies of mean street and they make they bring in werner herzog like things that most kids today have never heard of anything outside of michael bay or fast and the furious like it introduces them to those subjects in a a really fun way and olivia cook is just terrific now that said she's in a movie i saw at a film festival called katie says goodbye that I I wish got distribution. I still don't think it has any distribution, and it is a shame. It is a very hard movie to watch, but it has got such a terrific performance, um, and I really think people should have seen it. And Oscar Isaac is playing Poe Dameron in this movie. Like, let's be real. He pretty much is, yeah. Yeah, he's got the charm. He's got the wit on, like, full blast. And I don't know, man. It just it worked enough for me that I was able to let go of some of the more melodramatic things. And... <laughs> I don't think I ever felt compelled to cry. I definitely got the vibe. That's what the movie wanted. Um, but I was kind of taking, I, I took stock into that theme and I was kind of analyzing it from that unreliable narrator and how it, it is a compelling um, thought. Again, I do think it thinks too highly of itself, but yeah, um, I, I didn't hate it. I do see why people hate it. I didn't hate it. Um, I also didn't love it. Uh, I definitely um, Sean Big Tuna uh, compared it to uh, watching a car crash that you know is <laughs> awful, but you can't take your eyes off of it, and you're somehow uh, you know thoroughly engrossed in what's happening in front of you as it unfolds, and despite um, not wanting to see it through to the bitter end. Yeah, and I kind of agree with that. Um, the framing structure of the five chapters is unnecessary, but uh, it does tie into the bigger arc of the story. And again, it's definitely a melodrama. If you don't like them you're not going to like this. I do see, um, it's funny cause my wife loves the, uh, Hallmark and lifetime Christmas movies, which mm-hmm. I constantly complain about how melodramatic they are. Um, and she hasn't seen this. I don't want her to see this. Cause I think she will cry the entire movie. Um, especially, um, there is a scene with the dog that was like ex- excruciatingly heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, and I, my wife would like lose it from that point on. So, um, yeah. Anyways, that's life itself. Uh, Matt hated. I, I thought it was fine. Um, fine's not. I love Olivia Cook in it, and I think she's go. I think she's going places. She's she's always yeah. good, even if the film isn't. Yes, and uh, underused in this too. Her chapter is like one of the shortest chapters, yeah. and that's disappointing because I I am a huge fan, and I do think she's uh, 
much much more work uh she's in the thoroughbreds uh this year with anya taylor joy and anthony elgin love that movie so yeah if, you, if you're not oh and she's in ready player ready one, player one yeah. the big blockbuster she yeah. does get to shine in that film too i think she's the highlight of ready player one um all right uh next up we both saw night school um the kevin hart and tiffany haddish collaboration uh tiffany haddish has a lot of movies this year after her success with girl trip last year um i was not excited about this one and i will say um i think i found um another one of my weaknesses uh if a movie is framed uh with any kind of support of education or teachers i think i'm going to end up liking it because it speaks to my me at a personal level um partly because there is while it's underused i think in the big picture there is some um awareness put to um learning disorders and how those learning disorders can really have a negative impact on a person's life on a big picture especially if they're undiagnosed by maybe mediocre teachers or unobservant teachers or teachers who just want to write off a kid's not doing work as laziness when in fact it could be because they literally are struggling to be able to do the work and no one's guiding them to how to get help and while this movie is not like really brilliant on that or anything like that um there i man i choked up at the graduation scene in this freaking movie because wow. Wow. i am i am so dedicated i i've put so much of my life to education um, that. that even in this comedic kind of sense i was like yeah man say it so <laughs> um and i i did i was with uh, a early crowd a really packed house at like noon on a saturday for this movie and i was at the dine-in theater so like people were eating good food nice. and i think that helped everyone was laughing so i laughed a lot during this movie um being a, not a huge kevin hart fan i i am uh, i like tiffany haddish I don't know if I fully buy her as the teacher they're trying to make her in this movie, but I was also like, yeah, teacher, kick butt. So I ended up uh, enjoying this movie. Still didn't love it. I'd say um, in my rating system, decent watch. What about you? You took the nail for me there. I didn't buy Tiffany Haddish as the teacher in this film, really. I don't know why it didn't fully click with me. I thought she was good in this film, and Kevin Hart was also good. I thought they were kind of... For a lot of the film, they were toned down a bit from what you usually would potentially expect or what you've seen from them in certain parts, which is quite peculiar how they were how they were together. But I liked them. I thought they were good. Mm-hmm. The film itself, I thought was I thought it was by numbers and it was a bit vanilla in places. It was nothing. It, nothing jumped out. It was made me want to love this film. It. The crowd I saw it with weren't quite as receptive. It got laughs, obviously, because there are some funny parts of this film. It isn't the funniest film I've seen this year, but I also don't think there's been that many good comedies this Agreed. year. Yeah, I agree but, with that completely. Yeah, but this, this, it had good moments. And you're not going to have um, Hart and Hatch in a film and not have some laughs. Um, she's better here than she was presenting the Oscar nominations. I'll tell you that right now. But yeah. there was a good supporting cast of the classmates as well. I liked how they were all that was my their own sort of... Yeah, ticks and quirks, but yeah, and how Kevin Hart's character Teddy gets to actually being education was yeah. Quite I think odd. I, I think I called them the Grown Up Breakfast Club because that's very they're very much like archetypical they are characters. yeah they're all varied and strange in their own ways. But on a whole, I I wasn't looking forward to this film. I know we discussed that off halfway. I wasn't looking forward to the film. The trailer did not sell me at all, and I came out. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would based on my initial. Um, 
idea of it, but I still wasn't overly enamoured by it. And it was just one of those films where I've watched it, I've come out of it, I'm kind of done with it now. Yeah, yes, I'm 100% with you on that. Like, I'm like, okay, it was funny, next. Um, yeah, no no need for a rewatch. Speaking, let's 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 move on then, uh, since we're both done with Night School. Let's do it. The next film, so the next film was a, a film I was looking forward to seeing, mainly because of uh, one of the lead actors, who I always think is very good, and it's White Boy Rick, uh, which is which has uh, Matthew McConaughey as its main star. Um, but it's set on a true story uh, of Richard Rush Jr., who was set in 1980 Detroit. He's a he was a kid he was 14 years old and he moved he had a life as a gun peddler and he became the youngest ever fbi informant a drug dealer and whatever else later on he had a grubby life living in a grubby town he was he seemingly had no no choice and no chance in life but it was i was looking forward to it because it, the the story itself i wasn't overly familiar with the true story neither and when i found out more about it i thought this is prime for a very good for for a, a good film and he had uh, Matthew McConaughey playing the father who was also called Richard and he had Richie Merritt who I believe was um one of his if not his first film it, it was is. yeah it's his, it is his first film I thought he he was good in the lead role he had this kind of haunted behind the eyes yet still naive childlike uh, sorry teen like ability to his work I thought he was, I thought he was good Belle Powell's in it she's unrecognizable from the girl you know before and she gets probably the most affecting scene of the film but this film isn't a happy film whatsoever it's gloomy yes. it's it's a depressing film it couldn't have been any other way i don't think but it's a story it's all about family and the importance and the delicateness and the struggles that comes with it and but for me the pacing lets it down the editing isn't great i know the story was about richie worst jr slash white boy rick but i actually thought matthew mcconaughey's story could have been told and expanded on more because that mm. I was more intrigued by the father's story, but it's well acted. It was a good story to tell. It meandered an awful lot for me, and it there were bits of the film which were great, but when it wasn't great, it just felt a, just dragged for me too much, and which is a which I'm really sad to have to say because I I thought this film was going to be one of those kind of sleeper hits for me, but mm. I enjoyed it, but just not nearly enough as I thought I would. Yeah, I liked it definitely more, um, but still not like it wasn't perfect. I did have some issues with it, but overall, uh, I I over I, I was really compelled by the true story. And um, actually, even after this, like right after I saw it, um, there was a Q and A where the real life sister showed up and like just tells off the director, like you know, accuses him oh, of misrepresenting her. Yeah, it's, it went viral all over the internet. I happened to come across it and was like, wow. Um, so that that just kind of it made me ponder more about the true story. Um, I, I thought there was a lot that was really compelling with this. Um, some of the scenes were real brutal, and I do think the performances are are really solid. Um, I'm also uh, me and Earl and the Dying Girl connection here for this episode. R.J. Siler, who plays Earl in Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, is uh, Rick's best fr- Ricky's best friend in the movie, and I like that dynamic a whole lot i thought some of those scenes were really fun that's the thing uh the movie bounces around a bit but there are some really fun scenes and some fun sequences and i bought into them in the movie because that's how he gets so wrapped into the lifestyle because he is 
he's just trying to make the most of his really bad situation. And I, I don't know, it, it clicked enough for me that I, I enjoyed it uh, more than I didn't. Um, although I, I can definitely see it is long. Um, it does feel long at times. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I was sold. and I thought McConaughey got some really good monologues in this, too. Um, he is great in this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is after... Um, there's been a couple of flops that he's had. He was in the, the one, like, Suicide Forest movie that, like, I think almost nobody saw. I didn't see it. Um, I didn't see Gold, actually, from last year, I think. Um, yeah. Like, you haven't missed much with that film. And that's the last couple he's done have not been very good. And I thought he was great in this again. Um, it was good seeing him get like to really kind of act. And uh, I'm, I'm always the big advocate for Jennifer Jason Lee, although she doesn't get a whole lot to do here. She, she is still, I don't know. I, I've become a big fan of hers and generally will uh, take a chance on a movie if she's in it. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of performances just in general. I liked, um, but yeah, that's, that was my take on it. Um, well, Matthew McConaughey, he's, he's in a film coming out in November, which we're going to talk about, I believe, called mm-hmm. Serenity. Uh, that is one I'm looking forward to. It stars uh, himself and Anne Hathaway leading a film, and it's got a great story to it. It's completed. It's in the can. It's coming out of November. So I hope that that continues to McConaughey a little bit more because <laughs> he did he did sing and he did uh, Kubo and the Two Strings, obviously voice acting, of course. Oh, yeah. But... I like Kubo a lot. Yeah, I mean, since Interstellar, what, four years ago, he hasn't really done an awful lot for actual acting-wise That's in, in, in films that have been good. all that good, shall we yeah. say. So I'm hoping that... A White Boy Rick isn't a bad film, got to say that. It's just, I think I gave it about six and a half because when it was good, it's good, but there are too many times when I just wanted something more to happen with the great story it's telling. But hopefully, going forward, uh, McConaughey can continue his... You know, good streak again. Yeah, I hope so. Um, next up on the list, uh, we got a couple more to talk about real quick. I don't think we'll spend as much time on the, the last three, to be honest. Um, Peppermint, <laughs> um, Peppermint, everything about it, uh, except for John Gallagher Jr., before I saw it, had me on the on defense about it. I, I'm not a big Jennifer Garner fan. I'm especially not a big Jennifer Garner action fan. Um, and this premise, uh, it's, you know, female Punisher, her family's killed, and she seeks revenge. Um, they, they made the entire uh, group she's going after Latino, which felt uh, fairly racist. Um, they do one thing in the movie to at least curb uh, stereotypes, I think. Um, what I can't say because it would be a huge spoiler. But um, John Gallagher Jr. unfortunately ends up being one of the things I hate about this movie. I, I thought he phoned this performance in hard. Um, especially because he's in some amazing movies this year, one of which uh, is just starting to get some distribution is Sadie, uh, which yeah. I saw at South by. Um, he's terrific in that movie, and here, I don't think he wants to be here, and I don't blame him. It's it's garbage. This movie sucks. I I did not like it. Um, it the action sequences are cut really poorly. Um, it's just oh, and the whole. They, they basically give her a Batman Begins story arc, what we're shown through FBI surveillance footage. It's such trash. Um, oh, gosh. I, I don't even want to talk about this movie anymore, but uh, I hated it. What did you think, Matt? I'm going to bullet point because I don't want to spend any time with this piece of trash film. <laughs> the poster is one of the worst posts I've ever seen for any film. This was directed by the guy who did Taken and The Gunman and from Paris of Love. So ignore the Taken part. And that's what you're going to get. I would rather have seen a documentary about actual peppermint than sit through this again. I would have preferred that. But Kill Bill and John Wick, 
were great revenge flicks. This isn't. Jennifer Garner gets superpowers because she's cut her hair, basically. She mm. can survive impossible odds against, you know, villains who are far more capable than she is. The bad guys are basic. The villains are cardboard cutouts. The hero is just unbelievably poorly set up and written. The action scenes were naff. The everything you've everything if you were going to do a checklist about a, a stock standard revenge flick, this film does everything you'd imagine. It it's got a horrible grey filter over it, so it looks depressing and boring mm-hmm. to look at. So even watching the film is uninteresting. But it's a bad film. It's a bad title. It's generic. It's unenjoyable. It's the most instantly forgettable film of the year. It's not the worst film of the year for me. It's, I think it's the third worst for me. But I hate hate hated this film. With a passion. Man, I don't know if we've had a conversation on the air of a podcast where you've hated a movie that much. And yes, I, I am, I'm glad because this one deserves And I, I have the the hardest time sometimes because I'll have students who come in so excited. Like, Mr. B, I saw a movie. I'm like, oh, what'd you see? Peppermint. I'm like, oh. And they're like, <laughs> I loved it. I'm like, oh, no, I've done a bad job. You know, like, um, and it, you know, because again, it is, it is taste and the the thing cool. that I'm trying to get them to experience is like if all you've ever eaten is McDonald's, it might seem like the best thing in the world. But you gotta expand your horizons, and that's where I feel like the girls who really like peppermint they haven't seen other revenge movies that's to right, know actually. how bad this one is. You know, like there's just better versions of this story that are much more competently put together. Um, and man, it just does not work in this movie so and if you do like this film then of course like john said everything's subjective yeah. you know fantastic there were films we liked that everybody hates it's not i've never slighted somebody for liking a film but i just no. did not work for me yeah and i would i'd love to understand like if you did love this is there a reason outside of maybe you haven't seen better versions of this um like and again maybe you really like jennifer garner i i always find her to be kind of bland um even in juno where i think her character is supposed to be kind of bland it's still kind of, I'm always like, eh, it could have been anybody else. Um, yeah, it's not, it's not good. Yeah, Operation Finale is our next movie, um, which I think you were supposed to introduce, but I totally just was like, jumping yeah, into It's um, got an Operation Finale, it's, it's a better Oscar Isaac film than the last one we spoke about, it's yes. a real life Nazi hunt thriller. It For me, it still could have been better than it actually was. Mm-hmm. There were pacing issues and the dialogue was a bit clunky. The accents were ridiculous in this film. It just <laughs> felt like something was missing. I think yeah. it's, it's a, there's a very heavy subject to the film. Obviously, it's dealing with um, the, whole, the, the Adolf Eichmann, who was basically helped to... who was the chuckling puppeteer behind the Holocaust. And we all know, obviously, everything you need to know about that. It's not a, it's not a subject of which you can make a light film about though i do find that at times the film was kind of not making like the holocaust by any means but it it, it, it was a light tone about the film yes. which didn't quite work and again oscar isaac is essentially just poe dameron in a suit again yeah yeah he is just poe but it one of the most surprising things sorry just out of quickly is alexander just splat score wasn't very good and i like alexander just and i like a lot of what he does but i don't know it the second that Sort of v is completely off track from the first act and you know it's a bit like a team in argentina yeah. at times but and they know, for me it could have been better they could have been 20 minutes shorter too um yeah. they they dwell on some scenes that don't really give us anything um and it's like it didn't need to be two hours like this could have been under two hours um which i get you want to give it the the weight 
of the movie that has like this every minute counts, but every minute doesn't count. There are large sects of this movie that we didn't have to witness, even if they, because like there's parts where it, things go, they have to wait longer or things don't quite go the way they expect them to. And I feel like those scenes we didn't have to witness. We could have just been told that things got delayed. Like we don't have to actually be delayed to, um, it didn't add suspense or tension. Um, but I did, I did find it overall compelling. And while I completely agree with the Oscar Isaac assessment, I don't think he is a one-dimensional actor. I think he's getting typecast. He's a fantastic actor. Yeah, like you see him in like Ex Machina, nothing like Poe Dameron. Um, uh, inside Lewin Davis, while he has some of the snark and wit that Dameron exhibits, the melancholy that freaking like emanates off of that film is because of his performance. And um, I don't think, uh, like in Operation Finale, he is... There's there at one point they paint him as kind of like a rogue, you know, fly by the seat of his pants type agent. But there's another scene in the movie where it totally doesn't come off that way. Like early in the movie where he comes off as, yes, a mistake was made, but it wasn't because he wasn't following orders. It was exactly the problem. He followed orders and the orders were wrong. That was the vibe I got when they showed the scene. But then later, by when he's talking to his superiors, we're told that he's like this rogue do what he wants type of agent. I'm like. Yeah, have not witnessed that. That's not what I saw earlier. So either you're wrong, and that's what I'm supposed to take away. But then again, the attitude the character carries himself with through a big chunk of the film very much feels like Poe. And especially in Last Jedi, when he is this, you are not the hero. You are the guy who thinks he's the hero, and that heroes are all that matters and not the army themselves. Which I love that message in Last Jedi. Mm -hmm. I, I think it feels forced here and... Kind of in life oh. itself, because even in life itself, uh, there are moments where you're like, why is he like this? I don't, like, he's depressed. Why is he making so many witty jokes? Um, yeah, again, exactly. I, I think he's typecast, and he's getting um, played this, this character over and over again by some of these movies. But again, I found Operation Finale to be pretty strong. I thought Ben Kingsley was fairly terrific, and the movie does something that would be a total spoiler, but I was really shocked at the approach they take to the character of Eichmann and how they, I think they try to make you feel sympathetic to him. And that yes. was a weird approach. And I think the, the filmmakers do it in a way that they later will like try to rectify. And I think the intention is there though. Um, that I, I don't want to say it works, but I kind of, it made me think, and if a film makes me really kind of sit back and think on things and reflect on things, I'm going to give it a little bit of a bump because it's it's making me think outside of the film. It's making me like really reflect on humanity and life, and I feel like it did a good job with that. So um, yeah, I didn't dislike the film. Yeah, I, it, I just wanted it, like I just wanted the film to have just that little extra push to make it something really good, just because yeah. of the subject matter. But yeah, Oscar Isaac, he's clearly a good actor. I mean, he's got a most violent year. Excellent. I like thought he was great in the promise. He's in a film with uh, William Dafoe coming up soon at Eternity's Gate about uh, Vincent Van Gogh. He's, oh yeah. The, the guy has got range. He's clearly a very good actor, and I like him as Poe Dameron. He works. Me too. Yeah. I like Poe a whole lot, but it doesn't mean he needs to be Poe in everything. <laughs> yeah. Be Oscar. Be that guy who's got that dynamic range. But it, yeah, he's, yeah, he's not. But that doesn't mean he's bad in the film. He's, everybody puts yeah. in a good performance in the film. But the Operation Finale, I would have, I was hoping for. Again, I keep saying that, but I was hoping for just that little bit more 
based on the promise that it did show. But I did dislike it. I thought it was a good film overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I I wouldn't say I had a good time with it, but I, I liked the movie. Yeah. Um, the last film that we're going to talk about, the last one we both saw, um, I just barely saw. I ended up seeing it Saturday. Uh, so technically I saw it in October, but it was a September release. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, Hellfest, um, which had so much promise because the premise alone is one that I, I frequent um, horror mazes during October. I haven't been this year or last year, but like previously I probably had gone seven or eight years in a row to like Halloween Horror Nights or something like that, right? So one of the things that I noticed, we had, uh, we used to have this theme park where I live, which is a much, excuse me, smaller town than uh, Orlando, but we had a theme park here that uh, they were trying to do their own version of Halloween Horror Nights. And I went to it once and it was so uh, undercrowded, so few people there that you would go through the maze basically by yourself with whomever you were with. So, like, my wife and I went through the maze by ourselves. And that was the scariest experience I've ever had at a horror maze because usually at Halloween Horror Nights, you're just, like, a line of back-to-back people. And so you know where the scares are long before they get to you. Like, you know they're coming. You see other people getting scared. When there's nobody else, it dawned on me that I could be killed and no one would know because there's nobody around. Like, I could be in an actual murder house, not a haunted maze, and be murdered and nobody would find out because no one was near us. And that's what the premise of Hellfest is. Is like, what if a serial killer started using these horror nights to kill and then hide the victims and easily escape? And that premise is super scary and very, very, you know, compelling. Its execution, unfortunately was was far from compelling uh and more so the first kill that we the first real kill that that actually has any weight in the movie where it's a character we've learned who they are and whatnot is really it's kind of over the top and fun like they're gonna go like 80s slasher like let's see how creative we can get with our kills kind of thing and then it, it the movie completely drops that. Like, it loses that element of it. So when I, I had hope, I'm like, oh, maybe it's going to get real campy and silly. It doesn't. And so basically everything about this movie is an almost good idea and then executed weakly or poorly or haphazardly. And a few of the performances are super obnoxious, um, including Taylor Bex, I think is her name. Uh, I thought she was really, really annoying in this movie. Um, I, I, though... I still didn't hate this film. Uh, I would put it up probably of the horror films that I've seen this year. It's still down, but it's far above like Slenderman and Winchester and Truth or Dare. Those to me are the epitome of bad horror that I've seen this year. Um, so I'd say it's above those, but not by a whole lot. Like it's nowhere near hereditary and the nun is still above this. But um, man, I was really disappointed because I thought there was going to be some really cool stuff in this movie and there, there kind of isn't. Um, there's some cool, like the premise of Hellfest is cool, but yeah, I was definitely kind of let down. Um, I, from what I saw your review, you're kind of on the same page with me. Yeah. Well, I, it was exactly a spot, a spot on for what I thought as well. The premise was awesome and it did have that throwback to the eighties kind of feel to it, which I liked. And this is one of those films that's going to get watched an awful lot over the coming years at the Halloween season because it's, they released it at the best time of year. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's just frustrating that they just didn't build upon that premise as effectively they could have done. There should have been scares galore. The imagery should have been creepy as hell. 
twists mm. and mystery, but we got all of that, but it was just, yeah, yeah watered well, down, diluted. It's, it's shot like a, I mean, some of the characters feel like MTV, like real world type characters, and the attempt of exposition is so bad. Like, not, like we're told right away, like this girl, Natalie, who's the main character, um, I forget who she's played by, but who cares? Um, <laughs> like, it's, she's, she shows up and everyone's like, oh, we didn't think you were coming. And it's like, well, there's no reason. There's nothing about her personality that comes off as flaky. We don't get, like, there's this, there's no real backstory. Everything is these, like, shallow, like, attempts of, of depth that are just not there. Like, there's no real substance to any one of these characters. Um, and they repeat the, the lines. Like, I don't, there's, like, five scenes where Natalie apologizes for not being around much like i'm sorry i've been around yeah yeah sure. i'm gonna be around more oh we'll go do this and it's like why do we even care about any of this and it <laughs> grow it, up <laughs> yeah it never has any weight to it later like it's not like that's the reason things work out or don't work out like it's literally just filler and that's um man that's what a lot of this movie feels like it's like we have to make it at least a feature-length movie it could have been a short like if this were like a 15 20 minute short with just it would be great. Yeah, it would be so much stronger than what we got because they it seemed like they didn't know what to do with it. And it, it should have just been this should have been one of those horror films where it's just a series of kills after kills after kills. Um and and then we're left with one finally fighting back or something. And that's not what this movie does at all. Its pacing of the kills is really bad too, which I don't want to be yeah. a spoiler, but it's like nobody dies for like an hour and then so they have to kill off like six characters really, really fast. I'm not saying they all die. I'm saying like they're they're left with a point where like, well, someone's gonna start dying, right? Because this is a horror <laughs> yeah, movie. <no. laughs> and you know, you say you don't you don't warm to the characters. Bex Taylor Klaus, you mentioned her. She's just that one friend who you think you don't. You, it's polite to invite people to the party, but you don't even really want to invite her because you yeah. know she's just gonna be a pain in the ass the whole time. But you got the bad guy in this film. His main his main talent is just clenching his fist. By the looks of it, it's really it's. Oh, I don't know if you don't. Also, if you like me and don't like needles, there's a couple of bits of this film which will make. Oh you my die. god, dude, for real! Yeah, that, that, one, that did work. I, I hate uh, needles, but in a nutshell, I mean, this is the Hellfest. It's basically every low-budget slasher wrapped up in a amusement park. It's cliched as hell. Yeah. The every 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 scene has about five jump scares in, which are the same. It's, it's yeah. just things happen, and then they repeat it a few times within the same area of the park within the same scene then they'll move on to the next part and they will do the same to the point that you've become desensitized you it, there's yeah. so many attempts at jump scares that when they when they come later on it just be, it gets so tiresome there's a re, there's like an austin powers-esque very <laughs> slow moving train in this it's just yeah. really strange but yeah the, the kids aren't developed so if anything happens to them during a the film you really don't really care to be honest no it might uh, i i I ended up by saying that, and the movie's not great. I wish it was. It's not the worst film I've seen, but god damn, I would get tickets if that was a real event because it yeah. looks awesome. And 2018 so far has been a disastrous year for horror. I think on the yeah, whole, agreed. Uh, the genre is getting beaten. Then again, you have like Hereditary and um, Halloween looked promising. You've got and Suspiria coming. Suspiria, soon. which I'm not a fan of the original. I know that is super controversial. Um, but I'm the the trailer for the new one freaked me out, so I'm I'm hopeful for that one. But uh, I also last thing uh, on Hellfest, the singer whistles, "Pop Goes the Weasel," 
Yeah. Which is the most cliche and garbage thing. And it makes no, there's no reason for it. Like, there's never context given as to why he whistles. It's so horrible. I don't even know. Um, God, this movie. Uh, it looked like the guys in the writer's room came up with these really good ideas, but, and got so excited that they just thought, let's just film it. Let's just go out there and film it. With, and then probably thought afterwards we should have gone back to the drawing board yeah. and kind of come up with not exposition but reasons. Yeah, why is this happening? Some What's logical going on? function of these things, um, or like uh, yeah, there's just like character ticks that don't pay off. But I will still say this is far more competent of a story than what we get in Slenderman. Like just leaps and bounds more coherent than anything <sighs> in Slenderman. Um, and that said, that concludes this month's episode of bloody awesome movie podcast um we'll be back next month uh reviewing four other films um including as we've already mentioned venom we will definitely be reviewing venom um i think you can look and take a guess of what our four will be but (laughs) um there's some really big movies in october uh matt where can people find you on the interwebs you can find me at what i watched tonight.co.uk uh all my movie reviews on there and I have a stable of podcasts of which John does guest on and co-hosts on. And anywhere you can find podcasts, you'll find me on there. So if you like it, check it out. Yep. And I am at BurkeReviews.com. Uh, you can follow me on like Twitter, Instagram, at BurkeReviews. And uh, if you like this podcast, please rate and uh, share it to help us get more listeners. Um, Matt and I, you know, Matt, Matt's sacrificing sleep right now in order to pull this off. <laughs> so, uh, anything that if you like us can help us get more listeners, we are grateful, um, as we continue to do what we love doing, which is watching movies and talking about them and having, you know, compelling conversations with them. Um, so with that, I say keep watching movies and Matt, see ya and keep it bloody awesome. Blood, 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 bloody, blood, 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 bloody, blood, blood. Blood, blood, bloody, blood, 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 bloody, blood, blood, bloody. Do you like movies? Do you like podcasts? Or are you just lonely? If the answer is yes, and even if it's not, then check out the What I Watch Tonight Show's filmtastic selection of podcasts, covering the entire movie verse as something for everyone. So come check it out. More details at whatiwatchtonight.co.uk or from all good podcast providers.